You know, I, I know some of my friends kind of in my age, my generation, we kind of have this thing where we, we highly value friendship, but we like that friendship to be pretty loosely structured. Um, you know, I, I, sometimes we don't like to get trapped into a commitment where we think we have to do something. We do want deep relationships, but we kind of want um, that not to have to involve a commitment or a place where I'm saying I will do that for sure at that specific time. We're kind of like, well, if it works out, great. You know, that's kind of, we like that loose structure with friendship. Um, we like to be able to say things like, you know, you're, you'll see me if I'm able. I'll do my best. You'll see me if I'm able. We don't really like signing up, putting our name down on the dotted line. Uh, we don't really like that because that feels a little bit like we put ourselves in a box. You know, we have this feeling that if we click, then yeah, we're going to make a choice to make that relationship go deeper. But kind of in the background, we always have this exit strategy. And, and the exit strategy often looks like this. I'm just not going to commit. I'm going to be non-committal. I'm not going to promise things to this person. Um, and all of that is really in an effort to slowly, over the course of time, identify my tribe the people I'm going to be the closest to, I'm going to relate to. And I still, even with my tribe, I still may not sign up and make a written, hard, fast commitment to be present, but I will do my best to be present for my tribe. So folks kind of in my generation, we, we really value friendships that kind of have this loose somewhat safe yeah. structure. Well, and it's interesting because in all likelihood for many of us uh, in this room right now, many of you guys watching online, some of you maybe when Harley was talking, you might have been sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel that way as well. I, I, I get what he's saying. And then at the same time, uh, some of you may have been sitting there going, I, I don't I don't, I don't really feel that way. I, um, you know, it really doesn't describe me. Um, it, it really doesn't make sense to me what Harley was talking about. And, and that's okay because um, we're not all the same. We're not all the same. We, we have a lot of different experiences. We have a lot of different uh, backgrounds, where we came from, how we were raised, et cetera, et cetera. We're all from different generations, right? We're all from different generations. Now, for the next few minutes, we're going to kind of talk about different generations and how different generations experience and perceive things differently. Now, before we do that, though, I, we really need to put a disclaimer out here. We're not saying these things as hard and fast rules. Uh, this may not be, you may uh, identify with, or, or you may be a part of one generation, but you don't really share that generation's uh, values, and, and that's okay. So we're not talking from a perspective of uh, hard and fast rules about generations because it's a very inexact science. Heck, you, you don't even know uh, the dates of when generations begin and when they end are really loose as well. We're just kind of talking about generations in a broad spectrum, a broad term. This is just 
tends to be the way different generations uh, operate and the way they, they, they react and they act and their values. So uh, the, the first generation that we want to talk about that probably the farthest back we need to go generationally would be the generation that's called the silent generation. Now the silent generation uh, was, is pretty much anyone in all likelihood uh, alive today who was born prior to 1945. That's kind of that... Uh, we might call them the, the World War II generation that were raised during that time period. Uh, so anyone born before 1945, in all likelihood, you were a part of uh, the silent generation. And then after the silent generation, so about 1945, until, and again, this is an inexact science. Some people say early 60s. Some people say mid-60s. I've seen 64, 66. We'll just say 1965. So from about 1945 to 1965, we have another generation, probably the most well-known generation. Anybody remember? The baby boomers, right? The baby boomer generation. Um, now, the silent generation, uh, for me personally, that's... Uh, a lot of my grandparents. My grandparents were born in uh, two of my grandparents. Three of my grandparents were born in the silent generation. The baby boomers, however, that's my parents. They were born in uh, they were boomers. My, my dad was born in 52. My mom was, well, maybe I shouldn't say when she was born. My dad was born in 52. My mom was born after that time period. I, I thought about that as I was doing it. You were going to stop me, weren't you? I was. You were going to stop me. <laughs> so about 1965-ish, you kind of know something, uh, is the, the baby boomer generation. That's my parents. And then we go from that point and we go into the next generation, which is called um, Generation X. We call it Generation X. Now, in between the baby boomer generation and Generation X, so somewhere in the mid-60s, something changed. Something shifted in America somewhere when that generational change took place. And again, we're not speaking hard and fast rules here. We're just talking kind of generalities, okay? So around 1965, Something changed. And we go into Generation X. Harley was born in Generation X. I was born. I'm on again, the front end. Depending on mm -hmm. who you talk to and depending on what book you're reading, I could have been born at the very end of Generation X um, or I could have been born in the very beginning of the next generation. I was born in 1983. Uh, and many people call my generation, depending on, you know, who you're talking to, may know, the millennial generation, right? Everybody says, the millennials. Oh, millennials are crazy. Right? Millennial. I'm technically, I guess, I'm a millennial. And so you've got Generation X, you've got the millennial generation. The millennial generation, that's kind of, I'm at the very, very beginning of that generation. Harley's got some older, uh, so his older adult children are a part of the millennial generation. Uh, your millennials, though, you know, we think of millennials as kids. Millennials are pushing 40 at this point. Um, right here, pushing 40. Uh, and then after Generation, uh, excuse me, after the millennial generation, or we could call them Generation Y, you have Generation Z right? Generation Z. So that would be like your younger children. My kids are part of Generation Z. That's your, uh, your school-age kids. That's your, young, your teenagers kind of still in high school. They're part of Generation Z. And then after that, we, we haven't given them a name right. yet. But this, this generational study to me is very interesting because when you were born affects how you look at things. It affects how you perceive events, whether it be world events, uh, national events, local events, it'll change the way you perceive them, what you, uh, how you were raised, the world you were born into, what were your experiences, uh, what type of, you know, the, for instance, the silent generation were born into a, a, a very different world than were the baby boomers. It was a very different world that the baby boomers were born into after World War II. And it affected things. It, it affected the way we perceive things. But again, 
between the baby boomer generation and Generation X, it seems like, in America at least, something shifted. And the next three generations after the baby boomer generation, X, Y, and Z, kind of shared that thing. They kind of shared that shift. So for Gen Xers, Gen uh, Zers, and Millennials, this is what kind of has changed. Those generations, those individuals, by and large, that were born into those generations, that were born into those time frames, they see the United States a little bit differently than did prior generations. They see us, as Americans, as post-Christians. They see the United States as a post-Christian nation. Now, some of you are sitting there right now, and you might have taken offense to that statement, and that's okay. Because remember, we're not talking about everyone born into that generation. I don't want that to be the case. Um, but just the people in general, they look at the United States as being after Christianity. We think of the United States as a Christian nation, but really, the last three generations would say, no, we've done that. We experienced that. We tried that. It just didn't work. It's just, it was kind of empty. It was just kind of an empty thing. We really didn't like it. We didn't get what we thought we were going to get out of it. So we're just going to kind of move beyond it. We're going to move beyond Christianity. So those three generations kind of look at the United States as a post-Christian nation. Now, this is the question that we want to use to jump off this morning, our jumping off point that's so huge. How in the world can the church, can a church like Stuttgart Harvest Church, the church in Malvern. How in the world can a church be the church in a world that really considers itself, or at least a nation, that considers itself a post-Christian nation? How can we do that? How in the world can the church continue to connect people to Jesus and to continue to, after connecting people to Jesus, watch those people and be a part of those people's journey of becoming more like Jesus? How can we do that in a post-Christian nation. And it's interesting, maybe strange, that the answer to seeing lives eternally connected to Jesus and growing in a post-Christian world of the 21st century, you can actually find it by looking in the new covenant. You can find it by looking at where Jesus, what Jesus intended the church to be and intended the church to connect people eternally to him and how to grow the church, how he taught it to the pre-Christian world. Yeah, I think, that's, that's I think it's very interesting. And so that's where we find ourselves. And we're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians this morning, specifically one chapter, chapter four. I'm going to start partway into that, but I want to kind of let you know, as Paul was writing to this church of believers, these are all new Christ followers. I mean, this has only been going on for, you know, just a short period of time. And so this is still pre-Christian. There's not many of them out there. And Paul is speaking to a handful of believers in this uh, town of Ephesus. And, uh, you know, I say a handful, I don't know how many there were, but it was any of the believers in that town met at this one church. And here is what Paul writes to them in a letter. And he begins this by talking about this wonderful concept of being unified as that local church, being unified, being together together. 
And um, it's a wonderful chapter. You should go and read this sometime. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 11. So after he talks about this unity, he says, Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. And then he gives us a list. Now, this is not a complete list. In fact, this is a very tiny list, a very specific list. These, he says, are a gift to the church given by Christ. Now he's going to list some leaders in the church. And here's what he says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. So obviously not a conclusive list. It's not everybody. And it's not all the gifts. So he said, Jesus has given the church this gift in these uh, these giftings that are embodied in, in some people. And he says, now, their responsibility, so uh, now when we think about pastors, we have our idea of what their responsibilities are. Now, thankfully, Stuttgart Harvest Church and the Church of Malvern will, will be like this as well. We're different than what we have grown up with. We grew up with a pastor in a church who was the minister, right? They called him. They even called him. That's the This is our minister. This is a minister. Um, and if there was a funeral, if there was a wedding, it went. The, the minister took care of it. If there was someone in the hospital, the minister took care of it. If there was a sickness, the minister took care of it. If there was a problem, that was the minister's job. That's what we grew up with. That's not what Paul says. He says their responsibility, these pastors, these teachers, these evangelists, prophets, and, and the apostles, he says their responsibility is to equip people. You got that? Whose people? Not our people. They're God's people. To equip God's people to do his work. And here's what it is, what it is and, and to build up the church body, um, the body of Christ. That's the responsibility. That's what he said, I've called. So he didn't call them to be the church ministers. He called these people, specifically gifted them to be responsible to equip God's people, that's the rest of the church body, to do his work, God's work, not my work, really not even your work, it's God's work, and to build up the church and the body of Christ. It's interesting that he uses this word, the body of Christ. It is absolutely impossible to be a part of the body of Christ and not be a part of the church body, and here's why because that is the body of Christ. We've all heard people say, oh, I can be just as close to Jesus in the deer woods, right? Well, you, yeah, maybe. You can be close to Jesus anywhere you choose to be, because Jesus isn't in this building. But you cannot be a part of his body if you're not a part of his body. You just can't. Jesus has no amputated parts. They're all together as part of his body. And so what Paul is saying now is that these leaders who have been set aside and given some specific gifts to do this specific work, these leaders of the local church body are supposed to create a culture, an environment, a place where other parts of the body come in and they 
can kind of figure out through experience, not by taking a test, not by taking a survey, but through experience, they can figure out how God has gifted them and they practice that in the community of the church body. So this really is a community effort. Church pastors are not the ministers of the church. Really, if you want to give it a word, they're the equippers of the church. Now, here's what Paul says in verse 13. He says, this will continue. So just like he said, the way he's described it, this will continue until we all come. Here we are back to this word he started with that I told you about. Until we all come to such unity, togetherness, oneness in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. And he goes on. Measuring up, that means each of us as parts of the body coming together in unity, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. In other words, as we, as, as leaders, prepare cultures and environments for us to come in, the rest of us all to come together and find our giftedness, serve in that church um, and, and exercise, use, practice using those gifts, we get better and better and better. And as we're all doing that together, we're beginning to measure up to this full and complete standard of Christ. As we serve, here's what Paul is saying. As we come in and serve, the body of Christ is being formed and grown and built up. This is such a great concept that we're learning from Paul, who learned this from God's Spirit. Wow. He goes on, verse 14, and then we are no longer, we will no longer be immature like children. So it's a natural growth process. Yes, in the beginning we are immature, but as we come in, we exercise those gifts, we practice those gifts, we're growing and maturing. I have had people come to me before in my 30-something years of ministry and say, I just need deeper teaching. We're going to go somewhere else. I need to grow. I need someone to challenge. I need to grow. I need to mature. And the answer to that is, I'm not responsible for your growth. I am not responsible for your maturity. I, as a leader, am responsible to create an environment where you can practice your gifts, and in doing so, you're growing, you're maturing. That's really the only way it works. It doesn't work by sitting down and doing a Bible study. That is not what God gave us as a tool, the main tool for our growth. In fact, as Paul was writing to these folks, guess what? They didn't have a Bible. So how are they going to grow as a Christian if they don't have a Bible, right? That's what we think. They didn't have one. Interesting. 
Paul says, as we exercise those gifts, we come in, exercise those gifts, we're serving, serving, working, working, serving, practicing. It's a lot of practice. As we're practicing those gifts, we're growing and we're maturing. We're measuring up to this full standard. Then he says, verse 14, we're no longer going to be immature at that point. Like children, we've grown. And here's how he describes it. He says, we won't be tossed around and blown around, blown about by every wind of new teaching. And, and, and by this new teaching, he's referring to heresy. He's referring to things that are not true. And they're saying, you know, yeah, you've got to be circumcised to, to be saved. That wasn't true. That was heresy. It wasn't true. That's not what God taught. That's not what God did. But they had people who were teaching that. You got to do this to be saved. You got to do this. If you want to connect to Jesus, you got to do this, 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 and this. And he was like, no, no, you won't be captivated by that. In today's world, we could say you won't be captivated by, uh, uh, by something that sounds Christian that's not. I, I made a post on Facebook not long ago. I said, just because the name of Jesus is in an organization doesn't mean they believe in the same Jesus that we do that's in the new covenant. Very specifically, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it's not the same guy. Same word, it's not the same guy. And he says, you won't be influenced if you have grown, if you're maturing and, and you're exercising, practicing those gifts in the community, you're growing, you're maturing. You won't be led astray by these new things. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. He said, you won't be, you won't be fooled. Here's what he says in verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Not in judgment, not in anger, not in meanness, not in accusation. In love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Paul is saying, as we practice these gifts in this community called the local church, we grow, we change, and he said very specifically, we become, when we are united together in this faith, we're growing. When we're serving here together in the local church, we are growing more and more into a representative of Jesus. And if you take that RE off of, off of represent and you separate it with a hyphen, you get re-present. And as we become more and more like Jesus, we are re-presenting Jesus to the world around us. The best measure of a Christ-following community is if people around us can experience what Jesus was like through our skin. 
So verse 16, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Each part does its own special work in the body. In the body. Not at the lake. Hey, it's wonderful to go to the lake. I love the lake. I grew up on the lake. Not at the river. Hey, I love the river. Love the river. In the body. When the body gathers, it's the body of Christ. Each part does its own special work. And here's what Paul is saying. It helps, as they're doing that, it helps the other parts to grow. And here's why. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Wow, yeah, that's and, a big order. And, and so, you know, you listen to that and you hear that and that's a little intimidating. It is. It, it can be. It can be a little intimidating. It can be a little bit, whoo, man, I, I don't know. Because I, I, And let me hit pause on that too yeah. because it sounded like I was saying that we don't ever get to miss church. Right. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. That's not at all what I'm saying because we all have things. We take vacations and we go and we, we all have things that we do. But when our life is characterized by not being a part of the body, every once in a while, maybe I'll give you Easter, God, I'll give you Christmas, maybe. And, but the other 50 weeks of the year, I'm out of here. That's the problem. I'm right. talking, so let, and, I'm, let well, me. But it can be an intimidating thing to think, man, I, I'm a part of, as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, man, I'm a part of something pretty big. I'm a part of a pretty significant, uh, a pretty significant thing. But this is, to me, where, this is where the cool factor comes in, if you will. I always like to find the cool factor, okay? This is kind of where the interesting part, the, the fun part of this whole journeying as we are growing to be more like Christ comes in. Because we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about God incarnate. We're talking about God with a bod. I like that. That's yours. You're, where did you get that? Andy. Is that? Oh, yes. I should have known. I love that, though. This is Jesus. This is God with a bod that we're talking about. So Jesus, he has been to earth. He has spent 33 years on this earth living the perfect sinless life for one purpose. And that's simply to give me an avenue to be reconnected, to be connected with God. That was his purpose, and he fulfilled that purpose over the course of 33 years of, of sinless living, death, burial, resurrection, and, and that's done. And then Jesus goes into heaven after he's finished his purpose. But his body, and this is so, to me this statement, Harley, is, is, is powerful. Jesus goes to heaven after accomplishing his purpose, but his body is still here. We're it. Yeah. This is the body. I don't know what I am in the body. I'm probably the finger. You know, I'm like in like the last knuckle on the pinky finger, you know, the one that you break and you don't even care. It's just, <laughs> just take I it don't off. need it. Just cut it off. I don't know. But we're part of this body that that is the remaining part of Jesus on this earth. We're his body. We're made up, our church, the church, this church specifically in the church in Malvern, made up of a multitude of diverse parts, 
a multitude of diverse people, a multitude of diverse backgrounds, a multi, uh, just unique would be the word. We're made up of these unique parts that were all connected together as only God can do it with Jesus at the top as the head. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, I don't know how else to describe something so perfect. When it works right, it's perfect. It works perfectly. How do we connect with the world that is, or a, a nation, let's just say for this statement, how do we connect with a nation that is post-Christian? Man, God laid it out pretty easy. He laid it out pretty clearly. Paul tells us, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but Paul tells us that the leaders in the church, they're supposed to teach truth. They're supposed to teach truth in love on how to stay connected to Jesus and to serve in the community and to be a representation of Jesus to everyone that we come into contact with. Bob Goff, I love this statement by Bob Goff. He says, I want you to, you need to go out and drip Jesus on everybody that you come into contact with. Just, just drip a little Jesus on them. Or a lot. Or a lot, you know, depending on your, 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 your <laughs> proclivity. It just drip a little Jesus on them. I like that. I've always, that one stuck out to me. But go out in the community and represent, re-present, I like that, Jesus. And then, as the church, all of us, we hold, we're going to hold to the truth and love. And as we're doing those things, we're going to become more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. This is something else that Paul talks about. He says that, you know, the truth can only be found in Jesus. And, and, and Paul puts it like this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. He says, since you have heard the, about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. And, and that's true, right? Because Jesus himself said that. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we become his truth as a follower of him. We become his truth with skin. I mean, think about that. His truth in love with skin. I'm on stage a little bit. This is my moment. This is my opportunity to, as Bob Goff put it, drip a little Jesus on him. This is my opportunity to represent Jesus through my life and through the way that I serve and I connect with my community. I, I like the way you said that, that um, when we do something mundane, like just go to the grocery store, just get gas, just go to Walmart, it's not a mundane task. It's your moment. When we ask the question, how do we connect with the world, with a nation that considers itself post-Christian? We do it by showing the world that Jesus is irresistible through our lives. Yeah. Wow. So as people watch us live, some watching from a distance, some watching very closely... They have the opportunity in our mundane, just average lives at work, at school, when we're just hanging out, when we're just, they have an opportunity to see the way Jesus lived, to see the way Jesus might have responded or acted or reacted. We become his truth with skin. And when we do, it overcomes this post-Christian, this 
beyond Christian, this, oh, I've heard about that. My grandparents tried it, and I saw it in the night. It didn't work. We've moved on past that. It, it overcomes that post-Christian skepticism. Somewhere along the way, in our history of the United States of America, we became, at some point in our nation, we became content with hearing God's Word. Gathering in churches and hearing God's Word, but then not doing. We became content somewhere in our history as a nation of attending a church experience and listening, but then not becoming. And we've taken it even a step further from attending to now just doing whatever we want to do on Sunday at 1030 and knowing. We just know. We just know. But not doing. And somewhere in the makeup and the observation and the worldview of the majority of the last three generations, they scoffed at that. And they felt that it was empty and that that was powerless religion. And it was a non-changing faith. Ah, Ah, but when we become his truth and when we become his love with skin, you know, just walking around every day, not just at church, not just at work, not just at home, not just at the grocery store, not just at the baseball field, not just at the wherever you go. When we become his truth and his love with skin, it will overcome every I, don't, I can't say every single time. That, that's, that's unfair. It will overcome more often than, often than not our generational post-Christian skepticism. Yeah. Because a skeptic is looking for any reason not to believe what you're selling. But if we walk around in our skin with Jesus' truth and love coming out, you know the person I'm talking about. I think that person in your life that you can just tell something's different about them, that person, it makes you take notice. Even the most skeptical person looks at that individual and says, there's something different, and I just don't know really what it is. And the only way to be a part of that body, that body of Christ, that uh, that church, that word that we call, that only way to be a part of the body is we have to be in a, a functioning, participating part of this church. The two go hand in hand. They're inseparable. They, they, they are. They're inseparable. Taking his truth and his love and putting skin on it uh, by being a part of his body, the church, is how we reach that generation, those three generations that have said, it's not for me. Yeah. You know, it just sounds like this whole truth of Jesus with skin on it, it just sounds like the perfect way to introduce people to Jesus, especially today. And perhaps it is. 
Because it appears, from what we see in the New Covenant, it appears to be exactly how God intended this to happen all along. Going all the way back to the very first century through today. Our job is to create a culture, an environment where growth can take place and loving the community can take place and, and becoming more like Christ can take place. And a big part of that for us, a huge part of that here at Stuttgart Harvest Church and down the road soon at the church in Malvern. That's why we do small groups. That's why we do something called small groups. That's why we have a small group ministry because it's, it's in that small group ministry where a lot of what we're talking about it's kind of where we can learn how to be a unified community. It's where we um, practice building one another up in love. It's how we uh, learn how to do that, not just in our small group environment, then to, then to also be able to take it outside of our small group environment into our day-to-day -day environment. It happens in the small group. That's where we learn how to, uh, uh, to begin using our gifts that we've been given. And it's how, where we learn how to serve others in response to the leading of God's Spirit. It, those yeah. things for us, many of them happen inside of our small group environments. Yeah, in fact, that's why we say everything we do at Stuttgart Harvest Church and in the Church of Malvern, everything we do is leading toward a small group. Why? Because that's where all this happens. That's where the church is really the church. Wow. That, you know, when we do that... Something amazing happens to me, and that is we fulfill, we answer a prayer. Not just any prayer. We answer a prayer of Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus actually prayed for you and for me? When we do what Cole was just talking about, we are fulfilling, we are answering that prayer that Jesus prayed. So we find Jesus just hours before he is going to be uh, crucified, killed, and, and before that, tortured to near death. He's praying for you, and he's praying for me. Do you know what he prayed? Let's read it. John chapter 17, here's what Jesus prayed. And he's praying to God the Father. So we know there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. God the Son is Jesus. Somehow they are three united perfectly as one. We don't serve three gods. We serve one. But also somehow beyond our ability to metaphysically process this, they're also three separate. I don't know. Can't explain it. This is God the Son, who is Jesus, praying to God the Father. He said, I am praying not only for these disciples, those that were around him and those who were following him in that day, in the first century, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. The only reason we have that message today is because it started then. And we got it today. And for all, he was praying for me, he was praying for you in that moment. He said, I'm praying for all, not just these disciples, but all who will ever, ever believe in me through their message. Verse 21, here's what he's praying. I pray they will all be one, unified, unity, part of the body doing their thing, their part, the way they're gifted in that body. He said, just as 
you, God the Father, and I are one as you are in me. Now that's the Spirit. (laughs) I don't know, crazy, huh? God's Spirit's represented there too. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. They were one, unified, just one. When we do this, we're answering that prayer. And here's what he, how he ends it. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. When we function this way as a church that we have described this morning, his truth, his love with skin on it, it is difficult to resist that kind of love of Jesus because it's real. It changes. It's not a sit and listen and go and be the same. It changes. And that's God's design. He has designed this whole thing. What he had prepared in the first century is what we need to be doing in the 21st century. This post-Christian world. It's designed by God. And may we not let COVID stop us somehow. We're figuring that out. We don't have the answer, but somehow we're not going to let COVID stop us in being the church. So what does that mean today for me? What does that mean for Harley? What does that mean for us, anyone watching? We, we always talk about next steps. Everyone has the next step, right? It doesn't matter if you are brand new to this idea of following Jesus or you've been following Jesus for 50 years. Everyone has a next step. So what is the next step? What is the next thing that we would encourage all of us to do this week? Well, the first one would be this. Just read Ephesians chapter 4. It's a, it, it won't take long. Read it one time during the week. Maybe read it every day. Take 20 minutes and read Ephesians chapter 4. It's not a long chapter. won't take you too long. But just read Ephesians chapter 4. And then when you read Ephesians chapter 4, talk to God about it. Talk to God about His truth and His love and putting some skin on it. And then, because just reading Ephesians chapter 4, although that's great, and we want you to do that, that, that's just reading and learning and listening and hearing like what Harley was talking about. Nothing wrong with that, but take the next step. Put some action to it. We're going to be signing up for small groups here starting on February the 7th. So when we're going to begin this process of signing up for small groups. We'll sign up for four weeks, February 7th, 14th, 21st, and 28th. That'll be it. And then we'll go through about a 12-week or so small group semester where hopefully what we've talked about this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to put it into practice and to practice it on one another and to experience all the things that we're talking about of being a part of the body of Christ. We're going to do that inside of that small group trimester. And we're going to start signing up on the 7th. Now, we already know who those leaders are going to be. We probably, we know a lot of those topics. We've got three of the four topics already decided on what they're going to be. We're going to have four small groups, or three, four small groups. And um, you may be getting a phone call from someone. If you've ever been a part of a small group before, that leader may be contacting you very soon and saying, hey, join a small group. You say, ah, just, I'm not comfortable going into that small group environment yet. I'm not there yet. You're watching us online. We've got an online group just for you we got an online group just for you. So consider signing up for a small group. Maybe you've never done it before. Give it a shot. This is a great opportunity. 2021, good a time as any. 
sign up for a small group where you can um, be a part of this process of taking God's truth with God's love and putting a little bit of skin on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if we are serious as a church here and our church in Malvern of reaching today's generations, these generations that highly value this loosely structured friendship, this, these generations right now that, that many times make their decisions not as individuals, but with the group norm, what the group thinks of this, and they develop that worldview together. This tribe, these generations that find their tribe, and they follow something together. The reason why many of them follow together is they're not going to risk following something by themselves because then they lose the identity of their tribe. So they follow together in these loose, uh, structured relationships, this tribe. And if we're going to reach one of those folks in my generation or Cole's generation or our teenagers' generations, if we're going to reach just one of those, then somehow they have to feel a deep connection to this tribe, this new tribe. And somehow they have to experience uh, what happens in the church, in our small groups, as they practice being God's love and truth with skin on, and as they are serving together and serving each other. And many times they're going to experience that before they ever become a follower of Jesus. They have tried it before they have bought it. They want to see that it's real. Many times, in fact, they, they will actually change tribes and say, yeah, yeah, I like what I see. It looks real. It looks genuine. Things are happening. People are changing. And they may go ahead and jump into that tribe and join that tribe before they ever become a follower of Jesus. You see, at Stuttgart Harvest Church, and in the church of Malvern, we don't ask you to disconnect from your tribe. We don't ask you to say, hey, hey, now if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to leave all those people behind and now you just hang around these people. No. Every moment of your life is the moment. We don't ask you to leave that tribe. We ask you to live to put skin on the truth and love of Jesus inside that tribe too. We don't ask you to disconnect from that tribe. Live as the love and the truth of Jesus with skin on in that tribe as well. In fact, bring them with you. You see... Today's generations, these three generations that make up the most of the living people in the United States of America today, they don't ask, 
what is true. What is truth? I wanna, I'm going to go to a church and find out what truth is. They don't ask that question because they see all views, generally speaking, they see all views as their truth and their truth and all views is pretty much equal as long as it doesn't hurt or isolate or, or uh, make someone else feel bad. They see it all as equal. Instead, they ask this question. They do not ask, what is truth? Here's what they ask. They say, do I want to be like you? That's what they're asking. Do I want to be like you? They would say, you know, you say that what you're talking about is truth, but they're asking, they're saying, you say that's truth, but what does that truth produce in your life? I'm not seeing it or I am seeing it. What is it? And once they see that truth, it is only after they see that consistently that they will then say, okay, now, what do you believe? What is it that you believe that is making such a change and a difference in your life. So what is that? Because I want that in my life. And my friends, that is truth incarnate. That is truth, God's truth with skin on it today. And that's what we see in the new covenant. And it appears that that is what God intended all along. Let's pray. Jesus, that you, you said, your words, that you're not only praying for the disciples that were around you, but you were praying for us even today and even tomorrow. Those who would believe that same message, Jesus, you prayed for us. You prayed that we would be one just as you and God the Father and God the Spirit are one. And when we are one as your body in this local church, you said, then the generations of any day can believe that God the Father sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world so that we could be connected eternally to you. And Jesus, may we be your truth and your grace, your love with skin on it. And it is in the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray these very things. Amen.